Hi, I'm Donna Reish, and you have uh, brought yourself to Donna's Intermittent Fasting Journal podcast, broadcast, videocast, all in one. So I'm excited today to bring you more information about hunger control. Um, I, in previous episodes, um, I have them in the notes here. Episode thirty, episode thirty was when I uh, spoke directly about ghrelin. So that was all about ghrelin overall. Um, its pathways, where it comes from, when it is released, what can block it, the benefits of it, as well as when we would want to block it. So that is all about ghrelin. And then 31, ghrelin is the hunger hormone. And then 31 was about ghrelin, a review of ghrelin, and then overall hunger control with intermittent fasting and controlling ghrelin with lots and lots and lots of tips. So I hope that if you are battling with hunger at all during the fast, that you will go back to episode 31 and check that out. So uh, today is episode 32, and it is more hunger control. Basically what happened is I started out writing about ghrelin, and then I found myself um, with way too much information from one episode, even if I did like a 50-minute episode like I did last week. And it was just way, way, way too much information. So then I divided it out further. And so um, this week, uh, last week when I talked about ghrelin, I talked about things that I talked about hunger. I talked about things that are affected by ghrelin, how it can control ghrelin, and um, different types of foods that have a have an impact on our hunger and our satiety, both during the fasting window as well as during the eating window. So today I'm going to bring my last bits of information, which were all about hunger control outside of ghrelin. It's hard to do hunger control without discussing ghrelin at all, but um, it will be part ghrelin and then a lot of other things. So first of all, a little bit about us, because this is a journal of sorts. Um, we have been over 10 months at intermittent fasting, and um, I, we haven't my husband hasn't weighed for a while um, because he hasn't been able to go to the Y for the last two weeks. But I'm thinking that we're probably 105, 108 pounds together lost. And um, he has, of course, I talked about this last week, gone from a 48 to a 38 in pants. And I've gone from a tight 12 to a 10 and still losing. I had... Uh, we had our son's wedding last weekend, and I was super excited that um, I tried on the dress the day before, only to discover that it was really, really gapping in the back. And so the night before the wedding, I had to have my dress taken in a little bit. Most people, that would just totally stress them out. But I was so, my, my seamstress was already working on some hemming because the, the hem, I needed it a little bit shorter than what I told her because I forgot about our East Coast swing dance. And um, it was it was just a little too long for the dance that my son and I were doing. And so um, she was already working on it anyway. So she was like, you know what, this is just really going to gap back here. Um, and so she had to take it in. So I was like, yes, my dress needed taken in. So every little victory, right? Every little victory as we move towards our goal with intermittent fasting, health, wellness, weight management, size loss, inch loss, and so forth. So we are going strong amidst a lot of activities. And um, I'm going to be talking either in episode 33 or episode 34, everything specials. I have some articles, I have some slideshows, and I have bits and pieces of specials in different uh, of the of our my main weekly broadcast, my podcast slash video cast. But I'm going to put it all together for one episode about specials, um, mainly because I am like living specials right now. And so I just think it's a really good time for me to talk about it because it's what I'm doing right now. And it's what we are doing as a couple and as a family and just really making this a way of life because we've talked about this before in all of my avenues. And that is that if we do not make this a way of life, we will not change. We will not be able to, to uh, lose weight and keep it off unless what we're doing is what we're going to do forever. And so with that, that means that when there's a special on the weekend and there's a special on the week and Thanksgiving is coming up, or in our case, we had shower, wedding showers, um, rehearsal dinner, wedding, brunch the next day, and then we have just a week, and then it's Disney World for 10 days, and then we come back, and it's Thanksgiving week, and then the week after Thanksgiving, it's a baby shower for our daughter-in-law, and then, of course, three weeks after that will be Christmas, 
and then the next month we'll have a new baby. We're talking about constant, you know, festivities, special things. We all have these in our lives. So we need to say, this is how I'm going to handle this because this is a way of life. So stay tuned for that. All right. So I'm going to talk about more hunger control uh, in a few areas and uh, specifically some that I talked about other times that were, that I did not zero in on in terms of just hunger alone. So the first one is about caffeinated drinks. And a lot of people drink coffee or tea during their fast. And um, many people, there was a lot of debate about this, about the, um, trying to get centered here, about the uh, fasting clean and so on. And so you need to do whatever works for you uh, in terms of coffee, tea, and so forth. And, um, but specifically, I want to focus on what happens to hunger as well as metabolism when it comes to coffee and tea and caffeinated water. So, uh, first of all, I was, this just blew me away. And, you know, I've told you before, I'm just a few steps ahead of you and I'm learning and then I am translating that information to you. I'm not a health expert. My six years of college, four years of undergraduate, two years of master's work are all in education. So, uh, that is why you get good handouts. <laughs> but, um, but I am learning. You know, I had at psych, I had health and, you know, nutrition, all those things in college, but I am learning um, every day. I study a couple hours at least every single day uh, so that I can teach you what I am learning and so that I can help people change their lives in a more a practical level. You know, when you learn a lot from doctors and, and uh, different health and nutrition experts, um, and I guess I'm coming at it from another point of view, somebody who's doing it ahead of you and who is teaching you as I learn. And um, also somebody who can maybe bring it down and, uh, and process the information in such a way that we can, that we can absorb it and really learn from it. Um, uh, we still have technical terms. I was going to say without so much technicality, but that's not true because health and nutrition are very technical. So caffeinated drinks. The thing that blew me away when I began studying caffeine several months ago and its effect on hunger and fasting is that I guess I thought all along that the that coffee, tea, and caffeinated water, all three of those, that they affected um, our fast, our hunger, our satiety, our um, um, metabolism, the boost in our metabolism. I thought that all of those effects from those drinks came from caffeine. And I really wasn't very uh, astute in the um, uh, peptide YY, the PYY, the hormone PYY. And <clears throat> so all this time, I have been thinking, you know, I take my caffeine pills every day and because I don't drink coffee or tea. And I also drink my drink that has chlorogenic acid in it, which is black, it has green tea, uh, green black tea. I don't know which one has any green tea extract or black coffee extract, but it's non-caffeinated. And I take that every day, uh, take my drink and I drink my, um, and I take my caffeine pills. And all this time I'm thinking it's all about the caffeine. It's all about the caffeine. So if you were that way, this might be interesting to you as well. So, uh, the, the study that I actually have in the notes here from precision nutrition, um, it is all about, um, the effects of coffee, decaf, uh, caffeinated coffee, water, caffeinated water, and then a placebo. So that was good. It was good that it was done in that way. But it really, really brought home to me the fact that it's not just the caffeine that we are being affected by with these caffeinated drinks. And so the reason that it, that it brought this to light is because in this study with decaf coffee, uh, caffeinated coffee, caffeinated water, and the placebo, the uh, calf, the decaf coffee had the biggest effect on metabolism, uh, lowering, and lower, um, I'm sorry, had the biggest effect on satiety and on hunger. And so, you know, that kind of blows out, you know, the whole concept that it's all about caffeine. Caffeine does have a lot of effects on us, for uh, metabolism boosting and sports and uh, endurance and athleticism and things like that. But when it came to this research, it was important to note that it was the decaf coffee that had the most effect on hunger. So that is good for those who want to switch to decaf in the afternoon 
um, when they're trying to maybe go longer and maybe they're going like the hour 16 through 20 in the afternoon, switching to decaf will be a great help to you. You don't have, we don't have to think that it's only caffeine, that if we don't have caffeinated coffee, it won't have any effect. So um, it's actually, it was actually the chlorogenic acid that's in the decaf uh, that had the greatest effect on satiety and hunger. Uh, it's important to note that coffee is one of the single largest sources of antioxidants in the Western diet. I didn't know anything about uh, coffee and caffeine and stuff until um, I was became an ambassador for the Plexus supplements. And then I learned, you know, because I was like, I'm not going to take this. It's got caffeine in it. Caffeine's so bad. And, and you know, I don't want my husband to drink so much coffee at work and all this. And then I found out that here it is. Uh, coffee is one of the greatest, the single largest sources of antioxidants in the Western diet. I think that means that we consume the most, we get, that we get so much of our antioxidants from coffee because so many people are coffee drinkers. So the decaf coffee, there is a hormone in the body that is in caffeinated drinks, but is also very strong in decaffeinated coffee called peptide YY. So um, this is the third hunger and satiety hormone. So I talked extensively about ghrelin three weeks now, and I'm going to be talking about leptin, which is the satisfied. So ghrelin is the hunger, and leptin is the satiety, or I'm satisfied, or I don't need food because I'm not hungry um, uh, hormone. And then this is the third hunger and satiety hormone, and it is called peptide YY, also called PYY. And uh, it, this hormone is very low in overweight people, and it's very high in lean people who are full or satisfied. And so uh, there's the research about it, you know, is basically that people who are heavy do not release as much of this PYY as somebody who is lean and satisfied. Um, and then there's also research showing that uh, PYY delays gastric emptying. So in other words, we wouldn't, our stomachs would not empty as quickly. And when it comes to stomach emptying, that of course affects ghrelin as we've learned the last couple of weeks, because when our stomachs are not empty, ghrelin is not released as much. So we wouldn't be as hungry. So I would say that in that regard, if PYY really does have that effect on gastric emptying, that it would be, you know, right up there with fats and fiber for being slow to empty out of the stomach, which would have an effect on hunger. All right, um, decaf coffee lowers appetite and food intake by acting on neurons in the hypothalamus to uh, help people feel full. So that is what the um, purpose of uh, um, PYY is. It uh, acts on the neurons in the hypothalamus to help people feel full. And so it's released from the stomach. If you remember, ghrelin was released from the top of the stomach. And so it's all about how full the stomach is. Um, PYY is released from the large intestine, and it is um, acts on neurons in the hypothalamus. It helps you feel full, so forth. So we want more of this. We want ghrelin to be low, generally speaking, although we did find some good benefits about ghrelin a couple weeks ago in the brain, um, which is another reason why fasting is so good for our brains, because it is causing ghrelin to be released. And so that has an effect on our cognitive function. So cool. And isn't it so neat how many things happen to us as a result of intermittent fasting? I just marvel, seriously, just marvel. And, I, and you hear me say this all the time. But the truth is that we are told, do this, do this, do that. If you eat this, if you eat that, if you move this way, if you don't move this way, but if you move more this way, if you do this, if you avoid this, all of these things will lead to longevity. All of these things will lead to health. All these things will lead to disease prevention, will, do, will lead to anti-aging, will lead to reduced belly fat, will, re, will lead to lower blood sugars, will, with, will lead to uh, less disease, will reduce or get eliminate um, type 2 diabetes. All these things all the time. Seriously. I mean, it's like never ending what we are supposed to do to have all these benefits. And yet we have one simple thing that requires nothing. I just, I am amazed and continue to be amazed every time I learn something that happens from fasting. Because it's like, this happens when I don't do anything. So all those things that I've been, that I have to do, now I can finally not do anything and have such great results. 
Yay. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. All right. So coffee increases the release of this hormone in the body, this uh, PYY, and then that decreases the um, appetite. And also, um, decaf is better than caffeinated, according to the study, for increasing PYY. So caffeinated water, coffee, decaf coffee, and caffeinated coffee all release it. But decaf coffee actually release more. And so those who can't have caffeine or those who need to cut off caffeine or ha- are limited, you know, maybe you can have one cup of coffee and that's it or it affects your sleep, then you can just move on into decaf knowing that you are reducing this hormone through decaf coffee, through the um, uh, instigating, instigating the PYY release. All right, then caffeinated coffee. And uh, it has generally been thought that we need three cups of caffeinated coffee to decrease appetite. With the PYY, I'm looking at that going, hmm, maybe we don't need as much for, ap- for appetite suppression. But it does take three cups of caffeinated coffee to um, increase a thermogenic effect. So um, this is, I, I, I talk about this, I'm, I'm trying to think of where I talk about this. I'm, I think it's more than just the course, that I talk about the percentage of your metabolism boosting that you can have through caffeine. So it's, it's pretty remarkable, and, it, and it's um, not newly studied, or it's not like real, um, real, uh, it's not real new or being questioned. It's, it's known that caffeine does um, increase your thermogenic effect. We talked about last week how protein increases your thermogenic effect. So we can do something else very simple, and that is consume caffeine to um, increase our thermogenic effect and also to have an effect on our performance. So if uh, for those of us who like to work out in the mornings, fasted, we can also have caffeine. I take my two caffeine pills and drink my mineral water on my way to work out. So we can also get that better athletic performance, that increase metabolism, all that, those things happening from caffeine uh, to help uh, help with our workout. So yes, caffeine, uh, caffeinated coffee does increase PYY and decreases appetite. Uh, again, not to the level that the decaf did in that study, but it does. And it also has the other positive effects of caffeine. Now, the problem with so many things, and caffeine is one of those, is that caffeine, exercise, fasting, um, good stress, bad stress, all of those things can increase cortisol. So you really want to balance that out. Is three cups of caffeinated coffee, you know, is that thermogenic effect good enough and important enough to you to not uh, to to know to know that you might increase your cortisol? And do you have the time and energy and know-how to decrease cortisol? I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. To decrease cortisol to offset the fact that it's being uh, increased by caffeine. So we'll talk about that. When we talk about. Uh, Cortisol, but you have to be careful about too much caffeine. Uh, the research there, though, is that it's three cups to have that thermogenic, metabolic, and athletic performance effect. So that is quite a bit of caffeine. Um, I take two caffeine pills a day while they're, they're um, natural weight loss supplements, weight metabolism supplements, and I take two of those capsules a day, and each one is the equivalent of one cup of coffee, and I don't think I could do more than two, so I don't, even if I were a coffee drinker, I don't think I could do more than two cups of caffeinated coffee, because it affects my sleep too much, so I take it first thing in the morning, like at seven on my way to the gym, all right, and the third one is caffeinated water, and, um, and, uh, Caffeinated water also increases PYY and decreases appetite, but not as much as caffeine, or in my case, caffeinated tablets. So now when I talk, and I've talked about this many times, when I talk about caffeine pills or caffeinated water or caffeinated drinks, uh, I'm not talking about like um, uh, five-hour energy drinks and those kind of things that have that give you like a shot of caffeine suddenly. Uh, I I'm talking about natural caffeine. So you can get that, you can get it in water, just plain water, and it doesn't taste any different, caffeinated water. Um, You can get uh, natural um, caffeine capsules 
also. Um, but you just want to be sure that um, it's not like some kind of energy product that's an unnatural energy product, I should say. All right, so the study is listed here as well. And the exercise performance that I talked about uh, with that, with caffeine, is uh, increased by 11% in, in different studies. And this is because uh, um, caffeine also increases dopamine, which makes you feel good, and it makes you feel more empowered to work out. So I like to drink my caffeine or take my caffeine pills before I work out. All right, and uh, caffeine increases um, signals to the fat cells, telling them to break down fat. So it's it's when you are, I guess I just want to point this out, this differentiation here, that decaf coffee is only going to increase the peptide YY. Okay, it's not going to have any of the effects of caffeine. So the, the effects of caffeine are increasing the PYY, um, increasing cortisol, <laughs> Um, which can be a bad thing if you're not careful, uh, increasing exercise performance, signaling, sending signals to the fat cells, telling them to break down fat, fat. So that's where caffeine has that metabolism effect. It has that effect on your metabolism. Um, caffeine can increase your resting, uh, um, resting, I got resting on here twice, resting RMR, your resting metabolic rate, RMR, uh, by 3 to 11%, and then up to three cups has more effect, and then uh, this can be up to 10% in obese people and 29% in lean people. Now, you know, different research studies are going to give different numbers and all of those, but across the board, it is such that caffeine usually does increase resting metabolism, your metabolic rate, your resting met metabolic rate. So this is the rate at which your body is not necessarily doing anything. It's not like a thermogenic effect. It's, it is a thermogenic effect, but it's like whatever your, your basal rate is when you're not doing anything. It's going to increase that between 3 and 11 for one cup of coffee and up to 10% in obese people and 29% in lean people. So you can see why bodybuilders and people like that really do utilize caffeine a lot um, because it can have a big effect on your metabolism. So I like to tell the story that... Um, the, that I've heard that I've heard before that if you tan, you look ten you look ten pounds lighter. If you wear dangly earrings, you look ten pounds lighter. If you wear heels, you look ten pounds lighter. So when you bring all of those things together, does that mean if you do all three of those things, you're going to be look thirty pounds lighter? So we have to look at all of these things. This is going to increase metabolism. This is going to decrease hunger. Oh, this will increase metabolism. This will increase your metabolic rate. This will increase your exercise rate. This will increase your thermogenic effect, protein, and so forth. And we have to say, okay, if I put all that together, I'm not probably going to burn like 75% more calories than I did before I took caffeine, slept long, exercised, ate protein, took, what was it, um, something by 75 calories a day. Um, I think that might be in the course. Um, it was um, uh, red peppers, red peppers, 75 calories a day. So you put all these things together in this perfect storm. And just like doing all three of those things is not going to make you look 30 pounds lighter, it's going that's going to make you look lighter. And all of these things together are going to have good thermogenic effects but they're not going to like be compounded up to that point. So you really just have to experiment and see what really helps you. Across the board, the things that, you know, that we're seeing for hunger are the water that I talked about last week and um, caffeine here. And uh, there are a series of things that we can do to help with hunger. And especially if you're just starting out with intermittent fasting or you're trying to extend your fasting window, or you've just never really felt like, you know, I just, I've never felt like I, I'm fat adapted to the point where I'm just fine until 17, 18, 19 hours. I mean, we should not struggle at 16 and 17 hours of fasting once we're fat adapted. You know, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be such that on a daily basis, we start thinking at 15 hours, oh man, I got five more, four more hours. I'm starving. It shouldn't feel that way. So if that's the case, then you want to work on decreasing your hunger. So that's where some of these things can come in handy. All right. Um, also, though, on the flip side of that, research has shown that people become tolerant to the weight loss benefits of caffeine over time. 
So, you know, how long is caffeine going to have that big of an effect? And after you eat so much, take so much caffeine, does it have less of an effect or possibly no effect? I can't imagine that the effect would be zero, but the effect would definitely be decreased. You are just like, you know, tolerant to it. You've just kind of become immune to it, so to speak. Um, and then the caffeine blunting the appetite, those are the mixed studies. So from what I've, what I've been reading, I think it's a peptide YY that blunts the appetite, but it's a caffeine that has the metabolic effects. All right. And then there's always a problem about something to drink in your cream or in your coffee or your tea. So if you put anything in your coffee at all, cream, stevia, lemon juice, your drink Zevia, uh, you drink stevia sweetened lemonade, whatever that is, and you have any of that in your fasting window, and you and you're not losing weight, uh, you are. Um, uh, it's increasing your desire to eat. It's triggering hunger. It's causing you to crave. Then that would mean that you need a quote unquote cleaner fast. I hesitate to call it a cleaner fast because. You know, there's so much negativity out there as to, you know, well, you're not really fasting because you're having coffee. You're not really fasting because you're having coffee with a tablespoon of almond milk or whatever it might be. So, but you really have to be honest with yourself. Because um, I used to say, well, I can drink, you know, stevia sweetened lemonade. It's no problem. It doesn't do to me what Diet Coke used to do to me because I was addicted to Diet Coke. And then I had to just be honest that as soon as I started drinking that stevia sweetened lemonade, I wanted peanuts or crackers. And so whether it was really like totally spiking my insulin or not, that didn't really matter. At that point, what mattered was it was causing me to want to eat something. And so it had to leave my fast. It could not be a part of my fasting window. So you'll need to take care of that. Uh, because the thing about it is we're trying to find things that decrease hunger, we're trying to find things that help us with satiety, trying to find ways that we can, you know, not be hungry during the fast and we can not overeat also during the eating window. And so if we know something does the opposite, we just have to dump that, you know, immediately because there's no reason to make ourselves feel hungry during the fast, right? Because we, the fast should be pleasant. It should just be something that you just go through each day and it should be no more unusual for you to go 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 hours, depending on your fast, than it is for somebody else to go 10 or 8 or 9, whatever they do. It should just feel normal after a while. All right. And um, then uh, coffee and tea. Uh, both have the uh, chlorogenic acid, and um, this is decaf or not decaf, and the chlorogenic acid is what they are really thinking is causing um, appetite suppression. So uh, chlorogenic acid is an antioxidant dietary phenol. It's also found in apples, pears, artichokes, strawberries, pineapple, sunflower, and blueberries, which are all great foods to eat during your eating window to help with your suppression of your appetite. And it decreases hunger, and it's also found in many supplements. So um, the, uh, um, a lot of that chlorogenic acid that we consume comes through our coffee and tea. Uh, you know, to a lesser extent, but we don't eat those seven foods every single day. So, all right, so that is the scoop on caffeine. So PYY is released through um, uh, decaf and regular coffee. And then the, de the caffeination is going to help with metabolism and athletic performance. All right, so the next thing that we can do to decrease hunger is to heal our gut. And it is said that 90% of serotonin comes from the gut. And... Um, you know, we tend to think of serotonin as being a brain thing. You know, well, I just need more serotonin. I just need to release more serotonin. I'm just, I'm so unhappy or I'm so depressed or I'm not, I don't feel, you know, I don't, I don't enjoy life. And, um, but 90% it is, the effect is on the brain, but 90% of the serotonin is released in the gut. And so healing our gut is going to change our mood. It's going to change our outlook. It's going to change our um, willpower. And while we have amazing things happening to us during the fast that will help us with willpower, um, we also have to realize that uh, we do, especially at first, we have to rely strictly on willpower. And that's why so many people never make it to the third week or so when they could really, really have that whole, um, uh, you know, 
appetite correction and fat adaption. They don't make it to that third week because they lack the willpower to get there. And that's why I have my startup charts at the blog, DonnaReach.com, that are free. And that's also why I have my course, because those first three weeks, if I, we can just get people the help they need for the first three weeks, my course is one month long, but we get them the help that they need for the first three weeks to stay strong in a group setting, day-by-day -day learning, being coached on what to drink, on how to avoid hunger, on what to do when you can't make it up to the hours you're trying to make it to during the first couple of weeks, once they're there, they're home free, right? We can do this forever, but we have to get them there first. So check out DonnaReach.com if you want those free startup charts, and there's a lot of help there, or check out IntermittentFastingCourse.com also. All right, so healing the gut. Manage our microbiome. Managing our microbiome can dramatically decrease cravings. And again, this is because of the serotonin levels, but our, um, our gut you know, can have a buildup of yeast, a buildup of um, bad bacteria, which really plays havoc on our emotions, on our mood, on our willpower, and all of those things. So changing the microbiome can heal your moods and change how you feel about food and depression and anxiety related to eating. And there's so much talk right now about the microbiome. It's really interesting. And um, that's one reason I mentioned that I'm a plexus ambassador and we have a lot of gut health products and we really really see people turned around with these products and it is because the gut is so important and uh, research has shown and this is super interesting because we need a diverse microbiome and uh, in order to be healthy in order to lose weight in order to enhance our mood so forth but um, research has shown <coughs> that obese people have a much less diverse microbiome than thin people. And this is just generally speaking, not anything related to plexus or intermittent fasting or anything, but just research showing thin people, diverse gut microbiome. Heavy people, very limited or much less diverse uh, microbiome. And the more diverse, the more our guts can handle. So uh, we can change our microbiome with gut health products, but we can also change it with fasting and we can also change it with food. So first of all, we can introduce good bacteria to the gut with fermented foods and good probiotics. We can really, really limit the growth of bad bacteria in our guts by being careful what we feed our guts. So good bacteria, uh, we can... Um, we don't want to feed the bad bacteria. We don't want to feed the yeast. Yeast is bad bacteria in our guts and in our, in our intestines, and yeast lives on sugar and, and uh, processed carby foods and uh, non-natural non starches, non-natural um, uh, processed kind of sugary foods. And so as we feed the gut, these uh, bad sugars, then we uh, decrease the good bacteria and we feed the bad bacteria. Uh, we can also use prebiotics. So these are special fibers that fertilize the gut and help heal it. And um, this is, of course, through fruits and vegetables, but especially skin um, on fruits and vegetables. It's also through um, uh, foods like... Um, uh, bone broth and fermented foods like um, sauerkraut and things like that. And uh, generally speaking, prebiotics, that's the feeding of the good bacteria, and probiotics, that's giving the gut good bacteria, have been associated with lower cortisol, which will help with cravings, appetite, mood, and stress. All right, so I talked more about probiotics in episode number 31, if you'd like to check that out. All right, so uh, reducing cortisol levels. So, so far we've got our PYY increased through um, coffee, uh, decaf, and regular. We have caffeine, up to three cups of caffeine equivalent to that, either in caffeine pills, water, coffee, or tea, will have an effect on our metabolism as well as our energy levels. And now, uh, and then healing the gut is also going to be a way that we can work with hunger because that yeast, this bad bacteria, cries out to be fed. And that is where a lot of cravings originate. 
And then fourthly, we can reduce cortisol levels. And I actually have been studying cortisol levels. I had a question in the course. We have a live Q&A week on the fourth week of the course. And I had a question in the course about cortisol levels. And it wasn't really, I didn't, hadn't really included a lot of information in the course about it because I hadn't learned that much about it yet. And um, I, I, she just got me started when she asked this question. And I just could not stop. It was literally three weeks, two hours minimum every single day I studied cortisol. I was just blown away by cortisol and its effects. So I'm just going to give a little info here. Um, I'll have a whole program about it in coming uh, months. So cortisol is released during good stress and during bad stress. So uh, that's the thing. It's released during stress. Um, so we have a tendency to think that cortisol is released during bad stress. So we have a tendency to think that only bad um, things are having to do with cortisol. And um, that's not true. And so that's why, actually, the gal who asked this question about cortisol, she was concerned with the effect that fasting could have on cortisol levels in terms of raising them. So cortisol uh, is released during stress. And cortisol is good if it causes, if it's a, like an immediate thing where you need cortisol to make it through something. Um, you know, you always hear people talk about the examples of hunter-gatherers and, and cortisol was released during the stress of an animal attack. So then they were able to do what they needed. It's kind of associated with adrenaline and noradrenaline um, a lot. And so that's when we need it. But in our modern era, we don't just have cortisol released for emergencies. We have cortisol, we have high cortisol levels all the time, in part because we have so many stressors and in part because we don't manage our stress well. So cortisol is released during both of these things. And the reason we don't want cortisol is because it's kind of the opposite of um, uh, um, it, it holds on to fat. So it's the opposite of our fat adaption. It's the opposite of releasing fat. So it causes insulin spikes and sugar cravings. And so it can make it very hard to fast it can make it extremely hard to lose weight. I mean, we can just, really high cortisol levels can just mess with us entirely to where we can't fast, where we can't, um, even if we do eat the proper amounts of food, that sometimes we still don't lose weight because cortisol is just holding on to fat. Um, and it is uh, just something we don't want. <laughs> we don't want too much of. And so um, we want to learn how to manage it. Now, we know the effects that cortisol has on fat and on over the overweight condition because what does everybody say? My doctor put me on prednisone. My doctor gave me cortisol shots in my knees. My doctor gave me a cortisol shot in my hip. And we hear all about, and so then I gained 10 pounds or that I couldn't quit gaining weight, that I couldn't quit eating. And so it's, it's a known fact that if you get cortisol and people take it all the time for allergies and arthritis and pain, and so they take it all the time and then they're unable to lose weight. So it's automatically associated in our minds with uh, you know, cortisol being a fat, whole, a fat gainer, uh, a fat gaining um, uh, hormone. And so with that, we have to learn how to lower it. Now, the question about cortisol uh, being raised during fasting, okay, cortisol is also ra raised during exercise. And so we don't say, well, don't exercise because you'll raise your cortisol levels. We say, no, we're going to exercise even though it's a good stress and it raises our cortisol levels. <coughs> we're still going to exercise because... Uh, the effects of exercise outweigh the negative effects of the cortisol. And the same thing is true with fasting. Yes, we can have a, a rise in cortisol levels from the good stress of fasting. But instead we say, I'm not going to not fast because the benefits of fasting outweigh the small spike in cortisol. So instead we say, I'm going to learn how to control my cortisol. I'm going to learn how to manage it. I'm going to learn how to lower it in other ways. So cortisol has a big effect on hunger. Cortisol automatically means 
hunger. It's, it's just purely associated with hunger. And so we want to keep fasting, keep exercising, keep running if a bear is chasing us or a lion. We want to do all of those things, but we don't want, but we want to do other things to manage our cortisol levels. So good stressors, bad stressors, they're both going to potentially raise cortisol. So this one study I found so interesting because I am a big list maker and I'm a big doer. You know, I've, you've, I've probably already heard me say how many books I've written for children and so forth and, and um, for curriculum books for children. And I'm just all about doing things. I love to do. I love to create, love to write courses. I love to teach. <laughs> I love to write books, uh, curriculum books for kids. Um, readers. I just write all kinds of things for kids. And um, so uh, when I saw this study, it was like, <laughs> I believe that for reals. So it was that this study showed that um, cortisol was reduced by 50% within five minutes of women in women who were put into a room with nothing else there, you know, we always have, if we have anything, we'll do it, right? <laughs> Put into a room with nothing else there and instrumental music was played. Um, no music with words, just no lyrical, no lyrics, just instrumental music. And um, they had been taught deep breathing techniques. So they went into a room, five minutes, instrumental music with deep breathing. And um, they lowered their cortisol was all by 50%, but only when they were in there for five minutes. Can you guess what happened after the sixth minute? They started processing their to-do list. So isn't that wild? So what that means for us, that that's a good thing actually, is that um, we can lower our cortisol levels kind of quickly, which is good. Um, you know, that was only five minutes and they lowered it by 50%. So I think more than anything with cortisol, um, it's a mindfulness that we really have to implement. So um, uh, we can also reduce it through exercise, which also can stress it, right? But um, the, the exercises are a combination or a balance of cardio and weight training because cardio alone has been shown to uh, increase cortisol when people overdo it. And people overdo cardio because cardio usually how many calories you are burning while you're doing that particular uh, machine. And so by it telling us how many calories we're burning, we're, we go longer and harder. And so then we have a tendency to increase our cortisol because we're overdoing it. So uh, we can reduce it through a balance of proper exercises and by not overdoing simply cardio. Also, there's a lot of research out there about how cardio um, increases appetite so much when we overdo it um, because we, uh, well, there's research that shows that it, it increases perceived appetite, that we think that we're hungrier because we exercise long. So we want to be careful and make that a balance. Um, I think, you know, balance of weight training, hit. And then what I'm getting ready to talk about, yoga, is, is huge. So, again, going back to that mindfulness. The mindfulness is what we're going to be able to use to reduce cortisol. Sleep is huge. Sleep, um, Sleeping between seven and nine hours. And next week I'm going to be talking more about sleep. But sleeping between seven and nine hours will help us decrease cortisol levels. And um, just I will never sleep under seven hours again purposely in my life because sleep is one of those things along with caffeine and exercise and protein and some of these things that we can just do that will help us manage our weight without even very much effort at all. And sleep is one of them. So sleep is a great way to reduce cortisol. And um, there are some top ways that I found to reduce it, to reduce it overall. Sleep, deep breathing, journaling, gratitude journal, gratitude list, something like that that you write in each day. I think that it's it's just a mindfulness of I'm grateful for what I have. I great I'm grateful for what I have. I personally have a protocol in the mornings where I do my gratefulness music while I'm getting ready. Um just songs of gratefulness 
and then I move into my motivational uh, present speeches and, and things on YouTube, and then I go exercise, and I just have a, a routine that starts out with gratefulness, and that will really help lower cortisol levels. Yoga is a top cortisol level lowering device. <laughs> and again, it's that mindfulness. We are just going to stop. We are going to, you know, move our bodies. We're going to breathe. It really helps with the deep breathing. And um, so that is yoga is like the number one exercise to reduce cortisol. Meditation and prayer, instrumental music, acupuncture has also been known to reduce cortisol, reduce cortisol. So that is all I'm going to bring today because we're going to talk about hunger again in episode uh, 33. But let me just uh, recap here. Uh, the hunger episodes, episode 30 is growling overall. Episode 31 is uh, lots of tips for controlling ghrelin, water, protein, fat, and fiber. And then today we talk, I talk, I always have this thing about people who give presentations and then say we talk about it when only the presenter talk. It's an old thing from teaching speech class for so many years. So anyway, caffeinated drinks, decaffeinated coffee, um, both of those will release PYY, um, which lowers your appetite. Um, all the things from the previous weeks about lowering ghrelin, uh, caffeine to uh, impart uh, reduce appetite, but also to do a lot of other fantastic things. Um, getting that chlorogenic acid from coffee and tea, those uh, antioxidants that will decrease hunger. And also eating those foods, apples, beer, pears, artichokes, strawberries, pineapples, sunflower, and berries. Those all have the uh, antioxidant uh, phenols in them. Healing your gut. Again, getting rid of cravings. Don't feed that yeast. Um, and also just keeping your digestion at bay. Uh, you know, we talk about not having anything to eat. You know, don't put cream in your coffee or whatever. That's not clean fasting. But besides just the whole whether you're going to spike your insulin, there's also something to be said for just keep the stomach at rest. Do not have that gut doing anything for a period of time so that it can heal itself uh, through the lack of digestion that we're going to give it. Uh, reducing cortisol levels. Cortisol causes us to eat, causes us to overeat, causes us to be hungry, causes us to crave. So those are some ways that we can reduce hunger right now. And next week, we will get into even some more. So this episode, I'm going to switch over to our commercial. So those of you who do not want any commercials can opt out right now. Thank you so much for joining me in episode 32 with more hunger control. And join me in episode 33 when I uh, go into even more hunger control. And um, that is, I have, a, I have some of that already outlined, distracted eating, um, sleep, another big one, um, and what we eat and how that has an effect on us, like what we ate the night before, what we open our window with, and those kind of things. So we're going to talk about a lot of those cravings and uh, hunger, hunger during the fast as well as during the eating window. Because actually, my hunger wasn't too bad. And then when I would open my eating window, I would before I implemented the OMAD 3, I teach about that at DonnaReach.com, OMAD over 3. Before I started implementing that, I would open my window and then just eat the whole time. So we, I'm going to give you some help with that next week as well. Uh, during the eating window. So that will be next week. So right now I'm going to switch over and talk about the Plexus supplement for today. And since we were talking a little bit today, last week in 31, I talked about our probiotics um, because it is a probiotic, an antifungal, and a um, probiotic, antifungal, and a digestive enzyme all in one. So you wouldn't have to take three things. You can just take one thing. That's ProBio5. Um, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit today because of the gut health uh, part of today's lesson. But I also want to talk about uh, Slim again. And I've talked about this before um, in another commercial. Uh, but the reason is because uh, Slim has a lot of chlorogenic acid in it. It's one of the things that it has um, the... Um, uh, um, oh, which one was it have? It has a coffee bean extract. And so that's where it kind of, that's where you get the chlorogenic acid, which helps the PYY. That's a lot to understand. <laughs> so, so I'm going to talk again today about Plexus Slim. Plexus Slim is the pink drink, and it comes in a little packet like um, Crystal Light, 
except it's all natural. All the Plexus products are plant-based. They're all natural. And you just shake it in, or stir it with a spoon, shake it in your water bottle. You don't need a mixer. You don't need a blender. You don't need any special equipment. Um, I just carry my purse and stick them in my water glass, even when we're out to eat or something. Um, so the one that I want to talk about today is the Hunger Control. And there are two formulas. One formula has the prebiotics in it, and one formula has the Hunger Control um, in it. And so the one that I take is the hunger control one. Um, and, um, it suppresses appetite. So you don't want to give the hunger control one to like an elderly person or somebody who's underweight or a child. Um, you don't really want to give any supplements to a child without your pediatrician anyway. So, um, <clears throat> but with the, uh, hunger control slim, it has, uh, this, um, appetite suppressant in it, built into it, polydextrose. It's got this fiber, polydextrose fiber. And last week I talked about fiber in general, including like even mixing fiber in water. Uh, if you do not get 35 grams of fiber a day, that would be a good way to do it. You could also take supplements like Slim to get more fiber. Um, but it is a pink drink. It tastes really good. It's like a citrusy, kind of a pink lemonade flavor. Uh, it's clinically demonstrated to help you lose weight. It reduces hunger. It fills up the stomach. And this is like last week's lesson about stomach distensibility and um, uh, filling your stomach up with fiber, with water bubbles, whatever it might be, so that you're not so so that you're not so hungry. So it helps with that. And it also balances your blood sugars. So that helps with that too. It tastes good, lemon lime flavor, orange lemon lime flavor. Um, has two net carbs per serving, sweetened with stevia. A gluten-free, 100% vegetarian, non-GMO, and so forth. Uh, it is non-caffeinated. It only has the equivalency of one cup of decaf coffee. And that's where that um, uh, um, chlorogenic acid comes in to help that PYY be released. Um, so uh, we can take it any time. Uh, so when I take two, I take one, uh, like four hours before my fast is going to end, and one during my in the middle of my eating window when I only take one I take it in the middle of my eating window um, so you can take one or two a day but the ingredients in it help with hunger polydextrose again filling up your stomach so that you're not hungry the coffee bean extract has that chlorogenic acid that's going to increase your PYY which also helps with hunger and helps maintain a healthy blood glucose level Gar Garcinia Cambogia uh, which also helps with the appetite. Um, chromium uh, is a mineral, trace mineral that we're almost all severely deficient in it because you have to eat like 15 servings of broccoli to get enough that for what we need each day. And most people don't eat 15 servings of broccoli. So chromium is also an ingredient that helps. Alpha lipoic acid um, is an antioxidant that helps. And I love it. So I hope that you will go to the blog, DonnaRish.com, request a free sample. We'll send you a free sample of either one, the Hunger Control Slim or the Prebiotic Slim. And um, you can see if you like it. It's just really been a help to us in our intermittent fasting as well as in our health journey in general. So thanks so much for joining me today.